Just a quick note that the financial and business information you're going to hear in this episode is for informational purposes only. It is not to be relied upon to make any lending or business decisions as it does not consider your individual circumstances. So I grew up in Tamworth and went to school in Tamworth on a small property up there. I studied nursing after school and came straight to Orange. My husband was always off the land and I've always had affiliation with it. I did ag at school. Before becoming a farmer, Mel Kill was a nurse at Orange Base Hospital for many years. I suppose just doing nursing was something to do straight after school and to have a skill and I thoroughly enjoyed that. And throughout that time we had a small property and we did just dabbled in cattle and sheep and whatnot. Yeah, so the passion's always been there, but it's just a matter of having that equity behind you to go forward. Mel and her husband David wanted to live and raise a family on a farm. They were content to start small with their agricultural aspirations, and over the years they have built a successful, sustainable livestock trading business in Yeovil, west of Orange. We were not fortunate enough to have a property through succession, so we've sort of built our way up with smaller properties, and now we are where we are, here on 350 acres um, in the central west of New South Wales. We didn't have any confidence issues going in. We knew our skill base was there, and we always had a love for the land. So, yeah, we didn't have... Uh, there were no barriers for us going in. The barrier was basically equity and, and sourcing finance. So hence why we've worked our way up and started small and increasing acreage as we go along. If you've got the passion and the drive there, you'll find a way. From caring for others on the hospital ward to buying and selling in the cattle yard, Mel has become a gun at livestock trading. It hasn't always been easy, but together, Mel and David are proof that with hard work and a commitment to refining their craft, success is possible for first-gen farmers. I'm Sam Loy, and you're listening to Propagate, a podcast devoted to young farmers and fishers. This season is for aspiring farmers who aren't inheriting a farm. We're exploring different pathways to ownership and chatting to farmers going their own way. When Mel and her husband had their first crack at farming together, they tried to run before they could walk. We did quite an extensive purchase and we purchased a large run of cows and calves about 15 years ago and we adjusted those at Burke and that didn't go so well. We really just wanted to get into the market. We were a bit younger then and we thought, right, we'll just go all out. We bought 200 head of cows and calves. They actually came from South Australia and hadn't really seen man before, so that was an issue in itself. So when we got them out to Burke, infrastructure was not great and basically our end game plan hadn't been well thought out. We've learned heaps since then. We just knew we needed to improve our skills. At the time, Mel was working in town as a nurse and she also had two young daughters. So the time she was allocating to farming had to be used strategically. I was actually flicking through an RM Williams magazine way back and they had an ad for KLL Marketing in there. It was a three-day course for livestock producers and breeders focused on how to ensure you profit from your animals. 
Mel was interested in livestock trading, but their early attempts had been a little bit clumsy. She thought there was a skill gap that maybe a course could patch over. It's just a way to know how to calculate all your costs and put all your costs into a spreadsheet and basically get an answer at the end of it. And this is just another tool in our toolbox to make decisions. And obviously we're here at the end of the day, we want to make money. We're not just in it for the love of it, even though we do love it. It's a business and we need to make money. All the animals that we run, whatever they are on our property, they need to pay their way. They're not just here eating grass for the sake of it. They need to actually pay and they need to have a portion of those costs come out of their their profit. So I signed up and I went to the course. Yeah, haven't looked back from there. So once I got those skills, that was the real catalyst um, for us to go forward. After I finished that course, it was crucial for me to put it into practice. So I literally went to the sale yards the next week and bought cattle. I didn't procrastinate. I'm just one of those people. I had to get out there and use the tools and what I'd been taught. And I haven't stopped really. Livestock trading could be a great way to build wealth. Absolutely could be a great way. Throughout this series, we've been chatting to Sam Marwood, the co-founder of Cultivate Farms. He works closely with aspiring farmers to help them achieve their dreams. If I was an aspiring farmer and I wanted to build my equity so that people would know I'm good in money and also want to get a foot in my door, I would actually encourage people to invest into livestock go back a great farmer and say, I'm going to invest into your herd, but I need you to tell me what you're doing and start off that way and build your wealth as well as learn. And then if you're an aspiring farmer, I would encourage you to have a bit of a side hustle to say, all right, you're working on a farm. What are you doing on your Saturdays and Sundays that you could be leasing a property? And I know leasing's hard to get as well, but even just have that mindset of, all right, get 10, 20, 30 cattle and trade them uh, and f- play the market and figure out how it works and put your money where your mouth is. If, you're, if you want someone to share ownership with you, either invest or share their farm, and you haven't invested your own money, I wouldn't encourage that partnership to go ahead. But if you're saying, no, I've been working, I work in a, on a dairy property and I've got 30 head of cattle, which I trade, and I've built my wealth, and I've been through the ups and downs, understand how it works, much more likely to be back. So I think livestock trading could be an amazing way to prove your, your business skills, your farming skills, and build wealth at the same time. So I'd encourage people to go for it. So after buying my first lot of cattle and actually putting it into practice, I just saw how easy it was. One, because I knew what I was doing before I went to the market. I knew what uh, price I could pay for an animal, knowing the whole time that my costs were covered in that price. So the profit does come when you buy the next lot of animals. So it's a sell-buy scenario, which is a huge paradigm shift from common practice, which is a buy-sell, but this is actually a sell-buy. So you sell the animal and you make your profit on the next buy. Mel had found an arena she could thrive in. And as her confidence grew, she started developing and refining her livestock trading tactics. There's many ways to trade livestock and everyone's got their own way. So one of the huge things with our business model now is knowing where the cattle will go at the end of the trade. Probably one of our big mistakes back 
15, 16 years ago was not knowing where those cows and calves that we had adjusted were actually going to go. We just had them putting weight on them. We didn't actually have anything in mind apart from the yards. Now all my trades I go into knowing when I buy them what's going to become of them after the um, the time. So the trades can range anywhere from six to eight weeks up to 16 weeks. Uh, 16 weeks is generally the normal. Uh, you can do a lot in that time frame. Sometimes it may need to be a little bit more. Sometimes it can be less. We have fairly good weight gains here, but anywhere from 0.7 to 1.5 a day, sometimes a bit better when you know the weather's conducive to that. But you can really move an animal up a grade quickly. And combined with that, I also did the low stress stock handling school as well. So that makes a massive difference in production gain. Getting animals settled really quickly as soon as they arrive on the property, not having them walk fences and things like that. Yeah, it, it's, it's a huge gain. Mel doesn't work through an agent, which she says is a bit unusual. I do all the buying myself. And one reason for that is that I'm quite particular. Also, the only way to truly get a feel for the market is to be at the sales. Uh, Because I really am passionate about what I do, I really love trading cattle and I just love, you know, getting cattle, putting weight on them, calming them down and getting to a point where they're happy and healthy and they leave this place. Yeah, I've done all I can. So, me going to the yards, buying my own cattle, I find that really fun. But I know that that is not for everyone by any means. A lot of people will use an agent. Some people don't even go to the yards. They will just totally rely on their agent, which is totally fine if that works for them. But I feel that you're not getting a proper gauge for what's going on at the yards. Things that happen on ground are quite different to what you hear on the reports on the radio. Um, Just that's the way it's reported. So it's always really insightful and to build your skills, you really need to get on ground, be on Auctions Plus, be watching it and get a real feel for that market. As for sales, Mel sets those up too. A lot of private sales and she has long running repeat buyers who she has connected with in the market. She reckons it's her investment in quality that keeps them coming back. There's a few ways to find your markets. I actually use Gumtree as my main advertising platform. I did it years ago. It's worked really well. I have repeat buyers. There's a lot of people on Gumtree that have acreage. They want nice, good quality, quite cattle. They don't have either the experience or the knowledge to be drafting up cattle from, you know, bad behaviours and whatnot. So I suppose I do that. And then what I'm selling is a high quality product in the end. Animals that don't meet my criteria for that market, they will then uh, just be fattened and go back back to the fat sales. And I think why that works so well, I'm really genuine with the product. So it's really important for me to have quality animals and and quiet animals that are actually going to do the job for that person that they're intended for. Yeah, I really stand by that. And I think that's Um, a real key to to having repeat buyers and to having a good business model. The business was taking off and Mel and her husband were feeling more confident. At this point, they'd been adjusting their herds on local properties, but there was a growing need to anchor their business somewhere. One day I was just browsing the real estate and saw this property at Yeovil. We had no intentions of moving. 
I actually came out and had a look. It's 350 acres with an extremely run-down infrastructure and house. Um, no one had been living in the house for 18 months and it had just newly come on the market and I had a look at it and it was an absolute disgrace. It was a mess, absolute mess. The real estate agent said he'd bought previous people out and they just they couldn't envision any future in it. Um, but I could. I don't know if that's good or bad. I'd never do it again. But, um, yeah, we bought it and we, we were able to purchase it quite reasonably due to those factors. There was actually no water to any of the paddocks. Fencing was very, very limited and they had previously run goats here. So we were starting from scratch, I'd say. <laughs> We've heard from Brad Sewell a bit in this series. He gives financial advice to farmers looking to purchase property. He says buying a fixer-upper at the lower end of the market is a great way in for young people. Just start small, buy the worst looking bit of farming country, um, do it up, that's how you get started. You know, young people's advantage is in their physical ability to get things done. People my age, we're always looking for the properties that have already been done up. Um, but as a young person, you know, you want to find those blackberry infested areas or those areas that where the fencing's fallen down or the yards have tipped over. Um, get in there, do them up. Uh, every bit of work you do on a property, uh, you'll get back in spades in return. So use your youth to build your wealth by taking on those properties that no one else wants to take on. And I know you don't want it, or you, it's not your end goal, but it certainly should be your starting goal. Back in Yeovil, Mel and David are living examples of Brad's words. They took on the property that no one else wanted and poured themselves into it. It's been their home now for 10 years. So we're slowly renovating it as we go. And I suppose, yeah, renovating the landscape as well into something that's um, highly productive. First and foremost, we water and wire, um, made an effort to put all that in. And gradually over the last few years, we've been splitting those paddocks up just to manage our stocking rate and to carrying capacity and just get better impact on those paddocks. Uh, we run electric fence wire and we do wire. We don't do tape and we have a laneway through the whole property. So it makes it really easy for one person to get cattle to yards, move cattle around, and there's secure trough water uh, to every paddock that's reliable. So even though we're on quite a small acreage here, only 350 acres, we've spent quite a bit of time and money improving it and that putting down good pasture base. We have got some native country, but we're really keen on getting a high grass mix in our pastures. We don't have a lot of loosen. I'm not big on monitoring cattle for bloat, so I keep that out of the mix. But we've done some grass mixes that you know, have about seven grasses in them and they're just going so, so well. And they're highly productive, they're palatable and, of course, you know, in the trading enterprise we're looking for production, so weight gain, um, and that's really conducive to that. Mel has now been building her livestock trading business for 15 years. She's found it's the perfect enterprise for them and their property. So everything happens on the property here. We're fortunate to have our own truck as well. So we're able to pick loads up when convenient, although this has been a tremendous season and I've had more numbers on than ever before. So we've outsourcing freight a lot at the moment just for bigger mobs. 
so they come on farm and they're inducted straight away or within reason. They're weighed and they're given health treatments. And then they go straight out onto grass straight away. There's no time lag there. And I usually do a little bit of work with them, handling them and just settling them down, blocking them up, just getting accustomed to to the drill. And then they're straight on feed and, and weight gains happening almost immediately. We've chosen trading cattle as our main gig, basically, um, for a couple of reasons. One, financially, it allows us to have a great cash flow, regular cash flow, and our business works on cash flow. So we're not waiting, you know, yearly for a one-off lump sum payment. We're actually getting cash flow monthly, sometimes even twice a month um, through sales. And it's really great for the bank manager. It's great for doing my baths and being able to be on top of that. And we just find it works really well for our business and and budgeting purposes. Uh, The only time the spanner goes in the works is obviously dry times, which we're going to experience again. But um, with with a trading enterprise, we're able to destock and restock really quickly. So we're able to, you know, capitalise when we have small amounts of rain and get animals off quickly when we don't. David and I are really fortunate that even though we haven't come onto a property that's been handed down, we still have some pluses in that as it's just us two working this property. So we don't have any preconceived ideas or any influence from an older generation that's maybe not open to change. So we're able to take the business in any direction that it needs to go. And I think that's been really liberating, really. We can make decisions on the go and they're only affecting us. We don't have to pass it by anywhere else. Mel has left nursing, but she's not full-time on the farm. The livestock trading isn't quite enough on its own to pay off their property. So she and David both work off-farm jobs too. So I'm a land care coordinator, so I'm the regional uh, land care coordinator for the Central West, and I'm really enjoying that new position. And my husband is an off-farm mechanic, so we're able to supplement the farm because obviously 350 acres is not something that you can live off but we love the variety and we love the flexibility that all those enterprises give our business. So my personal job as the land care coordinator is quite flexible. I work three days a week and I'm able to yeah do a lot of the cattle moves and whatnot either before or after work and on days off, one thing that we love about cattle, and uh, there's several reasons we're not into sheep, and it's certainly not because they're not profitable, but our infrastructure is not set up for sheep. And we we just see cattle as so easy. Um, and moving them from paddock to paddock due to the laneways and the, the fencing that we have is literally a five-minute job a couple of times a week or even more or sometimes less depending on their paddock size. So you know, integrates really well into both our lifestyles and our working commitments. The work-life balance seems to be in a good place, but Mel still has goals for growth. Ultimately, we'd love to expand, but like everybody else, equity is is a problem. Uh, not coming onto a successioned farm, we've um, just had to build up our own. It's quite slow, but The cattle trading is really helping with that and we are making some ground now, even after the drought. Things are looking really good, so we're always on the lookout for land and have done some adjusting in the past, but I'm a little bit picky and I like to see the animals regularly 
and uh, having relationships with those people on adjustment properties is high priority to have great working relationships and it, that, that is quite hard to find. So forever always looking but yeah ultimately we'd love to expand and yeah go forward and just larger numbers. We'd still continue to trade. Uh, we wouldn't go into a breeding enterprise even if we had more land. Yeah the trading's just too lucrative. <laughs>